Welcome back to season two. We are so grateful for your continued support and for those new to the podcast. We look forward to sharing our getting dirty and growing strong stories with you. Where the Lotus Grows is an entirely listener-supported show. Supporting us is also designed to support you through keeping the growth flowing and also through rewards like guided meditations, personal affirmations, and extended behind-the-scenes content of our adventures in podcasting. Hop over and visit patreon.com backslash where the lotus grows and become a supporting member of the Cratitarian community. Where the lotus grows. Where the lotus grows. Cratitarians. Getting dirty and growing strong. Welcome back, Courageitarians. We're happy to be talking to Kim about another milestone on her cancer journey. So, Kim, we are all done with radiation. We are done. Well, we are technically done with radiation. Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot after. There is. You know, I... The best way I can describe radiation is your second full-time job. Oh, wow. So by the time you, you know, it was an hour's drive there and back, like an hour one way, mm-hmm. right? So there's two hours. Uh, treatment, even though you're, you know, the treatment process is fairly quick, by the time you get on, get checked in, get undressed, blah, 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 get to your car, it, it's a, you might as well say it's another hour. Um, and then there's the treatment of your skin three times throughout the day. Uh, that you do. And then about halfway through, uh, I started losing range of motion in my left arm. So my left side mm. was the side that we decided the risk reward for radiation was um, worth it. I started losing um, range of motion. So the fascia was getting so tight, all the soft tissue, uh, that to stay in the position I needed to be in for radiation, um, I was spending on average, about 90 minutes a day stretching to be able to keep that happening. Matter of fact, my technician, um, you know, (laughs) we we started laughing. The beginning of the week would be fine. Uh, When we got to the end of the week, I'd be driving in snowstorms and ice. So, uh, (sighs) you know, you get a little tense hanging onto the wheel, right? Right. So we uh, we started joking that you know I, I was still gripping the wheel when I was trying to lay down on the radiation table and uh, they have warm blankets that you can use and I always grab them because that weighted kind of uh, they're kind of like a like almost a lightweight wool or a heavy cotton blanket mm-hmm. that weight I knew would be good to calm me and have the warmth over my belly uh, would calm me in having the procedure so I always opted for that so I would get in. And the first thing I would do is grab my warm blanket and put it over my abdomen area. And then I would use the wall to start stretching out my left arm so that I could get into treatment. And um, the technician quickly decided that even though I could run them ahead of schedule because I'd get there a little early, uh, that towards the end, I needed that time to stretch. And uh, Mm -hmm. some of the other ladies in the room with me would say like, oh, I didn't do my stretches. So we'd start stretching. At first, I think they thought I was anxious 
my uh, cohort right. that was having their own treatments. And then they realized that I, they drove 10 minutes and I drove 60 minutes and they're like, you need the stretching. And um, so it was nice mm-hmm. to make some connections with some ladies uh, in the how long, they, how long was the treatment itself? Because if you're, if you're taking, you were not kidding when you're saying full-time job. So two hours to drive, you've got 90 minutes that, you know, accumulatively that you need to work out to keep yourself mobile. How long mm-hmm. is the treatment itself? Treatment itself, I would get on the table at like 7.02. Sometimes I'd be off the table um, at 7.20 if we didn't need to do x-rays. If we needed to do x-rays, then it was closer to like 7.30-ish. Okay, um, so 20 minutes to I half had, hour of actual treatment. Yeah, I had seven radiation sites and four planes. And uh, I would hold my breath for 25 seconds. Um, while the dose was being given. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, radiation itself wasn't uh, too bad. You know, this is the first time, I will say this for my radiation oncologists, they were the most open to integrative practices. Okay. They were They were the first team to ask me what I was doing then and then they kind of like which I got all excited about right so I'm like (laughs) yippee I get to tell somebody uh so as I start to you know have my exuberant joy that they're so interested um it turns out they were only really interested in my lotion choice and my meditation (laughs) practice And then they weren't so interested in anything else. Um, But, you know, good for them for at least having uh, a tip of an iceberg curiosity. And Mm -hmm. I have, I did notice that the radiation department chooses their language differently. It's very Mm -hmm. mindful and they have a mindful manifesto in the hallway. Um, I had one technician that was with me probably the majority of my sessions and the last treatment I was having, she wasn't there. And I was kind of sad about it. Cause I was like, Oh, I wanted to say goodbye to Lindsay. And she came and found me in the hallway and, you know, we're not supposed to be hugging, but she hugged me anyways. And um, we said mm-hmm. our goodbyes. And then I went to the bathroom and I had like, you know, this rush of tears that came just the release of um, making it through the 25 sessions. So I think I shared, and I'll, I'll reiterate it. When I was on the table, I used the image of angel wings taking the cancer cells and moving them into the line of radiation, and God's hands taking all the healthy tissues, organs, and cells and kind of putting them in a transitional nursery. The counting mm-hmm. worked for me, you know, with the breath flow. I Sometimes I, I would forget that it was Tuesday and we were going to do x-rays. So I knew the machine wasn't working in the simulation that was for me. And I'd get a little panicked. And um, so the girls learned to remind me that today's x-ray day. Uh, because, you know, you, you're laying there and you can't really speak, right? And you're like, oh, my gosh, this isn't me, yeah. you know. But you, you can see that it's you. Your name's up there. You've gone through the safety checks. But my mind would still have a little bit of a panic. Um, Every time I got back to my room, I would use my Apple Watch 
I would set a two minute um, mindfulness. And that's when I would be applying my lotion. Uh, And I would really stare at myself in the mirror and send loving thoughts and um, I used a sponge that I wrapped in saran wrap and then I put my mm-hmm. lotion on that and that's what I used to apply the lotion. But I would really make sure to notice all the dips and curves and uh, the, um, the line of my incision, uh, the brown. I had these, uh, the, the closest thing I can describe it is like a mole, these brown okay. spots that would bump up from the radiation and I, you know count how many of those were and if they were getting bigger or little or um so once I applied it all then I'd switch my mindfulness thing on my phone to a breathing app and I would do um shatili breath for three minutes uh, while the lotion was seeping in before I got dressed and out you know as a female I had to give myself permission that it was okay to monopolize the fitting room for five minutes <laughs> to do all that things mm-hmm. minutes by the time I got dressed to do all of that. But there was never a line, you know, I was never holding anyone up. Um, and it was just a moment of self-care. I got to know my check-in lady, you know, too, as well. She gave me a high five on my day off, my last day. And that, that was really nice. And the people who checked my vitals every week. And um, that was really really nice it, during the studio in in the studio for my midday I do the same mindfulness routine but I leave my shirt off uh, for an hour and let some air get in there now that I've finished uh, my left armpit did end up cracking open um, so I have a raw skin armpit we're having to oh. do a wash three times a day um, and then lotion on top of that. I have a medicated uh, cream that's going in my armpit so I don't get an infection. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was using my T-shirt jammed up in there. Uh, now we're putting a gauze on there. And that we started that yesterday. And that's bringing me more comfort. Uh, but at the end of when we're starting to do the another treatment, I'm really in discomfort again. So that raw armpit and radiation has my left side range of motion severely behind in recovery. I mm-hmm. I would say I'm about probably 90% have my full range of motion back in my right arm. I think now with my left arm, which what after surgery was ahead of my right arm, uh, I would say that I am back to maybe 50% of my range of motion. So I, wow. I, have to, I, I have to stay patient and remind myself that it'll come back too. <laughs> I, I get feeling patient, but additionally, like you're a yoga therapist, like, like integrative sustainable movement is part of your practice and lifestyle and for people who don't have that like the fact that there's or at least from everything that you shared with me there hasn't been any um you know outside suggestions on how to do you know any medical intervention any pt any infer like guidance as to how to maintain that that range of motion and to keep moving through this whole practice 
And the fact that, I mean, you have that knowledge so you can use it on yourself is great, but it just seems to me, wouldn't everyone who goes through what you've gone through benefit from movement and therapy? And do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like just the fact that the medical model didn't offer any of that. And yes, you have to be patient, it will come back. But for some people, even with my aunt, like she has really severe lymphedema on her arm. And I think part of that or in her armpit where she had her mastectomy um, and in that arm, the left arm. And I feel like some of that might've come from not moving or being able to move. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The no, thoughts. no. It's just kind of no, blowing I, my mind. I, I just got excited. <laughs> so I okay. pulled it out. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's true. It's true. Uh, Nick had Nick shared this statement because uh, I was a bit frustrated, uh, which we'll get into that next after we finish up this radiation. But sure. But he said, he goes, it's almost like your oncologist doesn't know what to do with the living. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it was hit the nail right on the head of how I felt. And he's even feeling that as a caregiver. Um, yeah. What worked for me in radiation was meditation. And okay. I waited my I did a short yoga nidra. I used images that were cooling and expansive. As I went through the 10 steps of the yoga nidra uh, and, and things that centered around the heart. I also okay. put sandbags on my belly uh, because I can't get into restorative crocodile. Mm-hmm. But I needed it to bring down the anxiety. And when I would start after I did this, so I, I would have radiation, I'd drive to the studio, right? So an hour later, and then I would get into my half hour meditation. I noticed in doing that, when I would first lay down for my meditation and put the sandbag on there, my breath was very shallow, too, too, a rapid mm-hmm. and shallow. That's not my normal breath pattern at all. <laughs> right. So I, it, was a, it was a cognitive awareness of how much I was affected by treatment. Yeah. Um, I noticed also, I kind of increased the sandbags as I went a little bit. Because it made my respiratory muscles have to work a little harder, which I thought, huh, in theory, perhaps that'll help me with less scarring on my lungs from radiation. Mm -hmm. And I could feel adhesions breaking up in my chest. Mm -hmm. That really supported me through radiation. It would bring down the cooling. I also didn't need a nap, but I will say this. The last two weekends, about the last five or eight sessions, totally kicked my ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got yeah, even we took I a break. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, we might be behind for our vegetarians, and that's totally on me. I, oh, I no. needed two naps a day, and on weekends, I took mm-hmm. four naps a day and still slept through the night. So that fatigue, well, perhaps, yeah. you know, the, the oncologists were interested because for the amount of radiation I had, those effects didn't come to the tail end that they expected it much sooner. They expected it 14 days in mm-hmm. and they didn't come to me until about, you know, 18 or 20 days in. So I, so you had done better. 
and didn't yeah. know it. <laughs> yeah. So they were quite interested in, in that aspect and could they share what was working for me with others? Um, nice. They're also kind of interested in the lotion choice after I created enough um, stink about what they recommended. So I asked what the rationale for the lotions they recommended were because there is alcohol in them and they're, they're mm-hmm. thick and hard to spread on sensitive skin or mine has no alcohol and is very creamy and easy to spread. And mm-hmm. so I expressed my discomfort with that. And um, they, they were like, hey, use what's working for you. Um, so on and so forth. I don't think the communication from any phase, ra- while radiation, I, you know, I've said surgery has had the worst communication so far, the surgical mm-hmm. phase. But um, radiation was a little better. But still, right. that communication for what you need is not there. Because my educational visit didn't come until 48, slightly more than 48 hours after my last treatment. So, and so the educational head, visit encompasses what? Like, what, what do you need to be educated on post-radiation? Well, that's what Nick said. He's like, what le- you're done. What's left there to do, right? So in my right. head, because it's been a full-time job, I'm like, thank God I can let off a little bit, right? Because I'm fatigued and I'd mm-hmm. like to give something up. So instead of treating my skin three times a day, I went to two times a day. Well, that is not sufficient because when okay. I meet with that education, there is an astringent soak that I'm doing. So, and I'm assuming that's so I don't get infected. There was mm-hmm. the check-in to see if did any open source happen. And even though my treatment ended on the 8th, those short-term side effects continue to ramp up for 14 days and then I'll start right. the down of coming back down normal because the radiation is kind of still there and building yeah yes. over the course oh wow and the so the weekend yeah, that... before I ended I started getting kidney spasms again and my urine was really dark but I'm I was drinking close to a gallon of water a day uh mm. A technician alluded to the fact that my cells are dividing so rapidly because of what's right. happening. And, you know, perhaps that could be it. Uh, they did say, you know, hey, if that happens again, to let them know. Because, you know, this is what they tell you. Oh, we're only, we're only affecting the area that we treat. Well, I know my lymph and cells go through my whole body. It, it never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I said that to the nurse and right. she goes, you, she goes, you're absolutely right. She's like, you're absolutely right. Everything does go everywhere because I kept getting about, oh, I don't know, the second weekend I was getting this red flush up my neck towards my face. And mm-hmm. I asked my oncologist about it and they said, no, it's probably from the hormone shot you're getting Talk to your other oncologist. And they were like, yeah, you know, maybe we'll send you to a dermatologist. Well, it turns out it is radiation because I have radiation burns up my neck. It looks like I have hickeys on my neck. Um, So it turns out it was radiation and I hadn't been lotioning up that high because, you know, it was a hormone flush. Well, they spent so much time telling you that they're dialing it in to a specific area that you wouldn't think that that would, you know what I mean? It just wouldn't become to mind. Yeah, my upper, you have my, burns further up when you yeah, know that I, they're spending so much time like dialing in specifically. 
I have it on my back around the scapula trap area as well, mm-hmm. um, the armpit, and then my entire left chest wall from the um, clavicle down to the last rib. Um, okay. So that's all the whole area that I'm having to treat this uh, three times a day. But they, yeah, so made to, they didn't give you the education how to properly treat it for 48 hours after. Right. And then you have to go get your supplies. So I tried to go to my local um, drugstore and they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So now I have to order it from Amazon, wait for it to come. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, gosh, we wasted four, almost five days that I could right. have been on this treatment protocol had that been given to me at the beginning. And I realize we're all different, but you could have a pamphlet that says, these are the treatments that work for these spaces of radiation that have worked for patients in the past. We're still going to be with you and help you tweak it, but let's get these supplies on hand. Because yeah, we know that's even samples point. of, yeah, even if they gave you little samples of, hey, this cream and this cream might work or this antiseptic or, you know, whatever it is that you had to order. Um, and or that was prescription to have little samples of it for that 48 hour period while you're waiting. Yes. Oh, wow. So here's the other thing. So we'll switch, we'll switch out of radiation. Uh, we'll get to uh, starting hormone therapy is my next okay. phase that okay. we're going to be doing. So that day we're going to have, I, I had radiation then I had my port flushed. We needed to have blood work. My liver numbers have still not recovered, which is alarming to me because it could mean mm-hmm. a couple different things. It could mean that, hey, because I've been so sedentary, I have a fatty liver. Right. Um, it could be that there's some liver, da- liver damage from everything that's, that I've gone through. It Processing all the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. There also could be another underlying cancer in me. That's creating the liver dysfunction. So I, in my gut, I know that my movement is nowhere near where it needs to be. And in my gut, I'm thinking that as I get back to movement, um, I'm going to feel better. And I will back up just a smidge because, you know, you we had just talked about the patients and I think I got off on a sidetrack there. Mm-hmm. I so (laughs) want to get back to my movement. Yeah. I I have told some of my clients, like, I see them moving. I'm so proud of them. I am jealous of my body craves what my clients are doing. Because I have always not asked something of my clients that I couldn't or was unwilling to do for myself. And now that it's like reversed. And, And so in some regards, I feel like I'm not walking the talk. Mm-hmm. So I was sharing this with my educational nurse of how I need to get back to movement. And in my, I told her in my mind, I'm juggling this. I know there's too much acid in my body. I know a more mm-hmm. acidic body cancer cells thrive in a more alkaline body. They don't, I have this gene mutation. I sure as hell do not want another cancer. I know that if I get back to an alkaline state, I also know that I need to lose this 56 pounds and get back in fighting shape for my second surgery, which will be a hysterectomy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I feel this immense pressure and this, you know, I got to get the job done and get, get this going. And uh, one friend that's going to work out with me in Pilates um, 
just so I have some emotional support and she wants to get back into shape too and just be nice to have someone with me. I, I kind of need that healthy living energy next to me. And um, mm-hmm. she said, you know, you're going to take it. We're going to start this uh, two weeks after your last treatment because you need to rest. And mm-hmm. the nurse said the same thing to me. She said, whoa, whoa, whoa. She goes, I, I hear you 100%. And they're valid reasons to tackle this. But if you don't rest from radiation, because we just put you through a lot. If you don't rest, it's going to take longer to recover. And one of my other friends said, you know, I want you to be gentle. You even said this. I had two friends say, I want you to be gentle. I want you to slowly get back to things um, and Mm -hmm. not just jump in with two feet like you normally do. (laughs) Um, and it's being reiterated so many times that I just, it's just so hard. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know that it's hard. And especially when your body is craving. And like, I know that feeling of seeing someone do something and you want to be able to do it in that. Like, it's like the, you can feel it in your body, the physical yes. craving, like your muscles are craving to do that movement. Yes. <laughs> so I know that feeling. Um, but rest is going to be so important after what you've gone through and like you said if if the radiation is still working and I'm using air quotes like however radiation I feel like that takes a scientist to really know how that works Um, however the radiation is still I mean it makes sense that it's essentially still radiating for two weeks then you really should be focusing on healing you really should be taking gentle care of yourself but I can also only imagine how frustrating it is to be like no we're we're done (laughs) I want to move forward like I was told this was going to last this long this was going to last this long and now I'm being told that it's another two weeks of this and then who knows what you'll find out after that yeah I can see where it's so well and what's interesting too is when When I was having these kidney spasms, you know, my caregiver said, well, now we know what they are. We didn't know what they were before. And I got pissed Mm -hmm. off and I said, no, I knew what they were because I know my body and my caregiver and oncologist chose not to listen to the patient experience. Don't use the we when it was me and not you. Because like, I, I knew what it because was. I have this interoceptive language, yes. I can decipher between a organ unhappy versus my muscles that are unhappy versus my fascia that is unhappy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, like so I, I I get these medical massages done and I use the word medical massage. Because it's not a fluff and buff, right? We're changing structure. Yeah, it doesn't always feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I, <laughs> I, you know, have a good re- working relationship with this practitioner. And, and he and I talked about how certain things were going to, before surgery, we were like, certain things are going to have to happen. I apologized in advance. I said, I'm probably going to swear and um, might say some things, but please know I love you. And I appreciate your work. Right. And they were like, okay, I'm prepared, you know, and I was like, who knows what emotions are going to come out of there because a lot of stuff's going to be stuck in there. And I, you know, make sure you're prepped with your energy field. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. we finally got into the side. I could lay on my right side 
and uh, we we started to get into the lateral and um, the back body, and oh my god, it hurts. Yeah. I've decided the things underneath my armpits um, where I was cut, I think it's fluid. I've been practicing with a soft okay. ball up against the wall, and I can decrease mm-hmm. the height of the lump. Um, so. I am excited. I, I finally got in with Gita, who's the PT that I picked in my insurance system. And um, she's supposed to, I did a lot of research on her. She's supposed to be a lymphatic genius. And, um, okay. you know, th- that all that lymph in all of the superficial fascia was cut and disturbed. Mm-hmm. And my body is trying to find new ways to send fluid um, I'm trying to decipher new bodily sensations that I feel from it. Um, yeah. So there's a lot to go there. And, and my clients were laughing. They said, oh, my gosh, you know, how are you going to go to a PT? And I was like, no, I value their information. Um, I'm like anybody else. I need their support. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll have opinions, but I'm also sure that I'll, I'll learn some things. And uh, yeah. so I, I, that starts in April. So, again, those 7 a.m. trips. <laughs> uh, oh goodness we're starting with two I might need more we're starting with two a week I might need more um but so that process will start well and that process there just to pause you there just what I'm what popped up for me is that even though yes it's an hour drive there and back and you have the I think you're gonna feel like there's real results each time you go so it's going to feel very progressional, like you're yeah. making progress versus, you know, not knowing outcomes and just you're going for this amount of time and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse until you're done. <laughs> this is actually like, hey, it's going to get better each time you go, even if it is painful or difficult, um, you should see improvements. And the other thing that made me think about your you, your client saying, um <laughs> you know, you're going to go to PT. Sometimes it's really nice to not do the mental part of it and have somebody else mentally think of what's going to help you. So you can implement it and you can have opinions, but how nice is it to have somebody else say, just like, um, you know, yoga in general, like a yoga class. I love going to a class, even though I know the sequences and I can feel my body and all the things. Sometimes I like to have somebody tell me because they might think of something that I'm not going to think of. And like you said, you'll learn something new. But to not have to use the mental energy of what movements do I need to do to help strengthen. To put that in somebody else's hands might be a nice, um, just a tiny little offload of your mental yeah. mental uh, work that you're always doing. <laughs> yeah. So that might actually be nice to have somebody else thinking of that stuff for you and you can just go on autopilot. I think it'll be nice to be led in that aspect. I also think it's, well, it didn't come at the time that I wanted it to come at. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's good that it's coming after radiation. Uh, In hindsight, I can see why my surgeon said to wait eight weeks (laughs) to move. Sure. Um, I, I can also see... While it wasn't ideal for it to be after radiation, um, in some aspects, 
you know, I knew enough about movement to get myself into re- to get myself well enough for radiation position. Now seeing mm-hmm. the range of motion that I've left and how things are stuck, I think it's perfect timing to go see the PT. Right. I also, you know, I, I'm going to start the hormone therapy part. And so the first thing they start you on is an aromatase inhibitor. Um, okay. The side effects with that are very difficult. For example, um, aches and pains in my bones oh. and joint. Oh. Now you mm-hmm. think about the amount of movement that I'm going to have to put in to, to reduce, to get myself back in good health for my second surgery and to lose the 56 pounds because we know what that's doing to me metabolically. Um, mm-hmm. Now you put on the fact that, you know, I'm going to feel, and, and I already have my arthritis is in my upper body and my ankles and knees is really, so right now, ankle, knee, hands, wrist, elbow, shoulder, the ache of the arthritis, you know, is bothering me. But go back to the aromatase inhibitor. So I, I gave you that with the bones. There's also carpal tunnel um, that could happen, trigger figure. Oh, boy. Oh. The contracture. Vaginal dryness to the point where I might have um, uh, uh, bladder infections. Lesions. Lesions. Oh, that's fun. Awesome. Osteoporosis with brittle bones. So this mm. is this is just my first hormone uh, therapy. Oh, Kim, so what's gonna, the rationale for the hormone? I know we've discussed it before, but maybe for creatinarians, kind of revisiting the rationale for the hormone therapy is because the cancer itself is related to hormones, correct? Yeah, right. So in a cancer cell, there are two passageways in a cat uh, in a cancer cell cancer cells are made to divide and populate so there are two pathways in there the first two hormone therapy drugs that i'm being given will shut down one pathway of that cancer drug so in essence Mm -hmm. we're slowing that ability to produce so aromatase inhibitor then is used to either stop new breast cancer from forming or to treat earlier or advanced stage breast cancer. It also okay. works stopping your body from making estrogen. So if your body is no longer making estrogen, it starves the cancer and stops or slows the growth. It also works against the original breast cancer and also any cells that might have escaped from the breast and may be found in other organs in your body, such as bone, liver, and lung. So also okay. it help keep a cancer from coming back in fact, it also reduces the risk of breast cancer from coming back either in the breast or other organs by 50%. It's also oh, wow. to help cut the, ri- cut the risk of new cancers from growing in a woman's breast. So if you've had um, breast cancer and you take an AI drug, then your risk of getting another new breast cancer in the other breast or because they can't get all the breast cells out, like in my case, mm-hmm. they can- but there might still be some lingering ones and I could get breast cancer, like maybe against my sternum or clavicle area. And they show up as little teeny bumps um, could be reduced as well. 
And it also, um, if you've never had breast cancer or you're more at risk for getting breast cancer, a woman could take an AI and lower their chance of getting that. So there's a key uh, aromatase inhibitors um, have a key enzyme called aromatase from changing other hormones into estrogen. And this lowers estrogen levels in the body, taking away the fuel that the estrogen receptor positive breast cancers need to grow. Okay. No, that's, I mean, so then it's just a matter of you have all these crazy side effects, but when you're talking about reducing any risk of recurrence or reducing any killing off the cells, starving the cancer, I mean, it makes sense, um, but that doesn't make it any less scary and slash annoying. <laughs> to have to deal with right so so think about those side effects and the creatarians that have been following along um you know have learned about my family history they've also learned about the other side effects because we've been good to like share all this stuff so people can fully grasp what's happening uh through the other stages of treatment that i've been through so this led me to a lot of questions so the Mm -hmm. one day you know as i'm Getting into this next phase, uh, the one day I met with two oncologists in one day, which was super efficient, totally loved it. But, you know, there was a lot of information for me to process. And and even if I have one of these sessions, I still need a couple days to process through it. Mm -hmm. So Nick and I had a lot of questions when we were at the hospital. So that day I went from radiation, uh, blood uh, portal flushed and blood drawn, which they couldn't get a blood return on my portal. Um, mm. So they had to go in through another vein, which was completely uncomfortable. They spent over an hour uh, poking and prodding around mm-hmm. on me. So sorry. And then I had to go for my hormone shot in my belly. And then we had uh, Nurse Betty came in and did, I had to sign off on a bunch of waivers to start the hormone therapy. But it led us to other questions. So, um, you know, the goal is to take my estrogen to zero. So I, my estrogen was still in the perimenopausal stage, still higher than what they want. This is why I'm getting shots in my belly. They alternate from left to right uh, so that they're kind of given over top of the ovary area. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a large gauge blunt needle shot. It's not fun, but I have a great nurse that has this technique where I can only get in a half a swear word um, and she's in and out. And I'm like, you are awesome. I love that technique. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, you, your hormones fluctuate like you have your period. So right before you got to go and get the shot every 28 days, about the week before I'm crying over commercials, you know, like. And I'm like, what is that? I didn't have that in the perimenopausal stage. I wasn't going through that. Right. But I will have to get these shots until I have a hysterectomy. <sighs> so the goal is through these um, first three. So if you're including the shot, I'll be on three hormone therapy drugs. The goal is to get the estrogen down to zero with those three. Now we know mm-hmm. heart history. If cancer wasn't going to get me heart cardiovascular was. So I I have a higher risk there from my dad's side of the family. Um, We know chemotherapy 
did a number on my heart. We know right. radiation is doing a number on my heart. Now we're going to, we know the extra weight I've put on doing a number on my heart. Now mm-hmm. we're going to take my estrogen to zero does a number on my heart. Yeah. A question I have, when do I, they did an echogram, right? A whole thing to make sure all my bowels were working and an image of my heart. When do I go mm-hmm. back for that again? Yeah, right. I don't know. Because Maybe they never. took a baseline. Maybe oh. never. What do you mean? Are you going to refer me to a cardiologist? I don't know. Do you need one? Well, don't you think we should be looking? We Yes, I, I get the point that we might not know when heart risk might show up. But um, perhaps I should be seeing a cardiologist once a year, bi-yearly. Maybe <laughs> we should be looking for some things mm-hmm. so that we catch it early. Yeah, uh, that's probably a primary care physician question. Okay, Mm. let's go to the next thing. Uh, Hey, uh, I missed my first colonoscopy at 50 because I was in the middle of chemotherapy and everyone thought it would be what happens to your body in chemotherapy. The colonoscopy would not be ideal time to have it. Right, yeah. Uh, So can you refer me uh, open source within your system to get my colonoscopy and get that scheduled. Maybe I can get that in between uh, before my next surgery. Either I know there's, I'm hearing there's about a three to six month wait in some cases uh, to get on the schedule because everything got backed up because of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Can we do that? No, that'll be a primary care physician issue. But I get a lecture on early detection, which to them I want to say F you. Right. With that little statement. I'm in for, I'm into wellness. I'm into early detection stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I said, I that's said, why hey, you're inquiring. Since, since this is going to take a while, should I be worried about anything? Like, like if I had colon cancer, would it have shown up on my full body CT scan that we did when we started this adventure? I guess if there was a large mass, we would. Um, so, you know, you don't want to put it off because you know, they can get small polyps, uh, through the colonoscopy. Great. Yeah. I knew that I'm on board with that. Good job. Uh, but you do realize by not writing me the open source colonoscopy and saying, I have to wait for a primary care physician. I'm probably going to be two and a half, three years off from the marker Mm -hmm. of when I should have had my first one. Thank you for that. Now, Mm -hmm. We early detection. <laughs> now we know, <laughs> you know. But you gave me the lecture, right? That's why I want. That's why yep. I have the the you know fuck you attitude with that. <laughs> now we know yeah. that okay. Uh, one, I'm aging, loss of bone, right? Happens mm-hmm. to everybody. Uh, we know that I've been sedentary, not ideal. Another factor for loss of bone. We know chemotherapy is going to create bone thinning. We know radiation puts me up for fractures, another bone issue. Now you're Mm -hmm. giving me hormone therapy, which we're going to have three of those in me right now, maybe four. And I had to lobby to have my first bone density because it wasn't on there, whether it was an oversight or not. I had to push back and make sure that that's on there, that that's happening. 
Now, here's the other thing. I want to go back to some of my supplements. I know my oncologist is not big on supplements. I've had many conversations with my pharmacist. Uh, and I will say pharmacists and dentists, I'll get into the dental in a minute. I, everybody who's been listening knows that I've been saying pharmacist, you know, and I was saying this before cancer, everybody should meet with their pharmacist at least once a year. Your insurance will cover it. You should have them go over your drugs. They are chemists. They know how to look for things differently than your doctors. And they're a great mm-hmm. resource. You know, I, I've been craving and wanting to go on back on vitamin C, a B, my D. And I'm thinking with all this bone stuff, probably should be on a calcium. I'm thinking with bringing my estrogen uh, down to zero, I probably should be on a K. Uh, And they give me this pamphlet about calcium. And we really prefer that you eat it. So so they want you to drink milk? I look at it and I was like, I go, my eye, right, kind of avoids the dairy, goes right for all the vegetables. And I say, Mm -hmm. I'm in a rotation of eating all of these. These are in there. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't eat all this dairy, but I suppose I could add a small amount in if that's what we need. Mm -hmm. What I get, what a trigger for me is is the use of the words nutrition and exercise. They know they're supposed to use them. They do not know how to talk to you about it. You have a greater medical knowledge than me, which is being put to waste because you don't know how to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Ask me what I'm doing. Help me fill in the gaps of where I'm lacking or where I could improve. We also know that even though I eat, organic. We also know that our soil is pretty depleted. And we know that I'm probably still not getting what I need through digestion. And my digestion right now is not in a great place because of the treatment I went through. I was just going to say how after chemotherapy and radiation, are you really able to absorb the nutrients? just through food because I would imagine that all of that going through your system is going to affect you know the cilia in your intestines the the your ability for your I mean you already said your liver is having some issues that's the cleaner you know your liver and your kidneys they could be struggling to to um you know absorb and clean things properly I because tell you've you, been radiated and, and yeah. you know, injected with, with toxic stuff. I told my oncologist when my heart and lungs were being affected, I was able to tell them when my liver and kidneys were being affected. I was yeah. able to tell them when my digestion was being affected. Sometimes yeah. it ends up in my soap notes. Sometimes they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they t- deem that it's not worth putting in. My thing is that I'm a PALB2 gene mutation that we know little about. Why the hell aren't we collecting as much data allopathically and integratively into my soap notes so we can start to learn and put paths together? We also found out that even though I need a hysterectomy and it's part of this cancer for me to have a hysterectomy, they weren't going to schedule it. It was for me to figure out to find, because it's a different Mm. surgeon, to find right. it, and Nick, this is when Nick finally spoke up, and he's like, whoa, 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 time out. He's like, you're mm-hmm. not even going to put in the referral for that? 
And they're like, well, we can put in a referral to help you find an oncologist or an OBGYN that will, uh, you know, refer you to a surgeon. So Nick, at this point, speaks up as the caregiver because, you know, I'm sure my I looked like my blood pressure was going through the roof, right? Right. And he said, he goes, she's going to move all of her health care to this hospital system. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is we can ensure the doctors are talking to each other. We cannot afford another doctor to drop the ball. For me right. as the caregiver, it makes it easier for me to keep up through everything. And it'll be easier. She's already established in your portal. We're going to do that. So then they were like, oh, so you would like a minimally invasive hysterectomy. Well, who doesn't want a minimally invasive oh, Right, yeah. You're going to be like, no, I really want the really invasive one, please. So they're going to they're gonna <laughs> look they're going to look to find me someone, which I still haven't heard back from that. So I'm going to have to follow up because it's been a good amount of time that I should have heard back from that. Right. Uh, then they were like, good luck finding a primary care physician. I've had mine even outside of our hospital system because I can't find one. Okay. Because that, nobody wants to. That brings some red, red flags for me. Now I know. Yeah. You and I know from our research with the clinical healthcare system that we're going into a doctor shortage and primary care physicians are not the most glamorous medicine to practice and it's very stressful and we know there's a pretty big shortage there. So now we leave from there with this new information that Nick and I are just kind of like staring at each other about Uh, because these are things that seem obvious. I can't be the first cancer patient to face this stuff. Uh, right. We have appointments, like Nick says, he goes, you have appointments scheduled six months out and we still have two more things to schedule, a second surgery and a colonoscopy. He's like, mm-hmm. and this is when he says, uses the statement. It's like, they don't know what to do with the living. They don't, they yeah. give me the treatment. Thank God they know how to give me the treatment. It saved my life. But we know that things are going to come down the pike. And even when I talk to my oncologist about my fears, she says they're very valid fears because they most likely are going to happen at some point in my life. So help me avoid them. Help me live. They don't know what to do with that. So now I spend four hours of my day uh, researching for a primary care physician, talking to some of my medical families in my studio. I get the name of one doctor, call, of course, they're not taking new patients, happen to find this doctor's email address, send them an email with my four primary concerns, and bless her heart, she emailed back, and she did some research that I'm sure as shit my oncologist team could have done. Mm -hmm. She said, to accomplish the four things that you need, you're probably going to need three doctors. Here are the three Mm -hmm. doctors that I would recommend that you start with. Mm -hmm. Now, why isn't there an exit plan? Little booklet, pamphlet, ebook that says, yeah, we've given you these treatments. We've saved your life. Here's what the comorbidities and side effects are going to be. Here's some places to start to explore within our system. Common sense. Yes. No, I've got to be extra stressed (laughs) to go find all this. Right. So now I have spent time. I still have to follow up on those three doctors that she suggested. Um, Mm -hmm. I did get a scheduler that helped me find a primary care physician. Can't get until October. 
I have now been left to my own devices to do my own research, which luckily I know how to do and navigate. And Nick and I have started uh, a primary care physician notes. We have questions for the primary care physician. We have fields of study that we'd like to watch. We have um, yearly or bi-yearly tests that I probably should undergo. And I'm going to walk into this primary care physician for the very first time. I have to be equipped with this information because I need to advocate for myself. And I have to hope that I don't alienate the doctor and I get a doctor that is open to partnering with me that can see the rationale of where I'm going with things and can help me navigate this next stage. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And, you know, I, I want to stay positive for you, Kim, and I want to say that that, that that individual is out there. Um, it is interesting to me, though, the juxtaposition of you're on your own to do your own research. And one of the things that many doctors seem to dislike is when people are on their own and do their own research. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right, because there's the, there's a joke out there of get off, you know, Dr. Google. Right. right. Which I even asked my oncologist, I said, hey, uh, do you have some research that I could read on PALB2? Uh, when I get on PubMed, a lot of uh, PALB2 research is around pancreatic cancer. You know that that's my greatest fear. So it freaks me out. So I start right. reading. Um, and, you know, she said, well, didn't I send you the New York Times article? I said, that was so lay. It, you know, like, yeah. like it just barely brushes the surface. Um, and so then she said, well, I could look. And then we realized I joined the, through this um, part, part of IYT, um, they, they have a connection with the Integrative um, Oncology Association. I joined so that. Free articles. Yeah, I joined that to kind of be in the uh, loop of that. And mm -hmm. there's just a new member benefit to some cancer research. And it turns out that's the same thing that my doctor would use. So I just need to get in and create an account and start to go through there. So, you know, there's not even, you know, they, they give you, so this is the other thing I started laughing about. She knows that I'm not big on taking medicine. So, you know, she's selling me on the point that I have to take just four pills a day. It's not the amount of pills, right? right. That's not what, what I'm against. What do the pills do? That's <laughs> right. Right. You know, I, I'm just like, yeah. you know, I, I like, don't insult my intelligence. We're missing the point of, you know, right. I don't want to take, because I'm worried with my mother's family's history of kidney disease and metabolic diseases, I have worked really hard to stay healthy, to keep myself off of meds as long as I could. I knew they were coming, but as long as I could to try to right. save my organs for as long as I could. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's a terrible way to die. How my mother died. It's just, it's just a lot of suffering. Right. And I mm -hmm. love myself. I don't want to have to do that suffering. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's what I'm worried about. So talk to me about the science, about how the cells work, how the, how it's affecting me. Right. And uh, mm -hmm. so she says, well, we have a pamphlet um, that we put together, the side effects that, you know, we most see that we think could, you know, and I said, so basically, uh, don't read the pamphlet that comes with the pharmaceutical when I pick it up. You've made a less scary pharmaceutical pamphlet so that I'll take the drug. Because if I read the one the pharmaceutical company gives me, I probably wouldn't want to take it. 
Right. And she smiled at me, you know? So again, Mm -hmm. it's, it turns, sometimes it turns into a sales pitch rather than a conversation about wholeness, about, you know, everything that's happening. Yeah. Well, again, this is where you are, um, the unicorn in as a patient. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're well-informed, you're well-educated, you have great knowledge of the body in general, but in particular, your body, your interoceptive skills are through the roof. You, you know, all of the things you're an integrative care person. So not only do you follow and believe in the allopathic model, you also believe in, you know, cam, uh, treatments. And so you're kind of all encompassing. And I don't think that they see that they are catering to people who are, um, scared for sure, just as equally as you are, but not as informed and perhaps maybe not even interested in being informed. And so I think that that's, that's probably part of it too. I think some people, when they experience something like what you've gone through, they just want to be told what to do. And you're like, no, I want the rationale behind what is going on. And if something isn't working, I want to work with you so that you can fix it for other people. (laughs) And this lack, this, this so basic lay information, Mm -hmm. I still think for your average consumer that maybe doesn't have the science background that I do, um, I still think it's so lay. Is it really informed consent? Because I don't no, think no. that I've been given the opportunity for informed consent. It's like Nick says, it's like do this or die. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and no, I there's not a lot of options, which maybe there and aren't. I, I do think that more and more people are more interested in what's going on. More and more people are more active advocates for their own care. And I don't think that doctors and hospitals, I think there was a period in our history um, you know, pre-internet, <laughs> when when you had to go to the library to research something or subscribe to journals to get the information, I think it was very much like, "Hey, I'm the doctor. I have the skill. I have the knowledge. This is what you're going to do." And there, there really was that. Okay, I do whatever you say, or I die. Those are my choices. And now more people are smarter. More people are, you know, they they don't have the science background that you have, but like you said, to be to have things put in such broad layman's terms, it's not informed consent if they don't know that there's. I had an extensive conversation with my chemo oncologist on Mm -hmm. what my belief systems were and that I really wanted to partner Mm -hmm. and they agreed to it, but not really. They agreed to let me live the life I want to live. But there's, you know, you see the tightening of the jaw, you see the eyes dart away. There is not mm-hmm. and there there's not an ability to have a conversation. And and here's what I wonder. Is it legalities? Is it insurance? Not enough time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And doctors make a huge sacrifice in their life to become a mm-hmm. doctor. I totally respect that. I just think that this profit-driven mar- uh, this profit-driven business model of our healthcare 
is taking mm-hmm. away the true aspects of healing. The doctors aren't happy. The healthcare workers that support the doctor aren't happy. The patient's not happy. We're missing the whole picture. And as I've gone through this, I get additionally upset because here's a hospital that I, you know, is my dream to work in as a yoga therapist. And I think the yoga therapist could be the bridge between these Mm -hmm. different phases of treatment. They could be the bridge of giving this comprehensive communication of, you know, things to have and things that are going to happen and also give you the tools to survive or be with each phase. It's one of the conversations that I was able to have with my two radiation oncologist doctors was Mm -hmm. this fact that I still experienced the roller coaster of emotions of going through treatment, but I didn't get stuck anywhere because my integrative toolbox is so big. Right. I knew to look for these things. I had to search them out. But wouldn't it be wonderful to have a healthcare system where that already taxed patient, who in essence, you could say is working three jobs, treatment is one job, their life's work is a second job, uh, surviving the treatment, a third job of the self-care that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every patient was given the same opportunity to thrive through treatment? How would that change our overall outcomes? No, I I think you're absolutely right. I think it's beautiful. I do think also, I mean, I know that you know this, but you are in a hospital that goes above and beyond already. Like the fact that, um, you know what I mean? Like you're in a hospital that really does listen and really does, you know, yes, there's the tightening of the jaw, but I think in other facilities, maybe there's more uh, physician ego involved and, you know, you're not going to tell me maybe the profit margin, maybe not the best doctor. So this is um, even the doctor with the worst grades that still passes the test makes it through medical school. Right. So, so, you know, there's, there's still a bottom of the class and the top of the class kind of person. And you're in a place where it's really top, top of the line people, top of the line uh, treatment, and you're still experiencing this. And I want to say that you're absolutely right. I don't want to sound cynical. I have really started to think of myself as a skeptic more than a cynic because ultimately I'm an optimist and I don't want to be seen as cynical. Like cynical is like there's no hope at all. And I don't, and I don't believe that. So I'm a skeptic of things. So from my skeptic standpoint, I would say part of the reason I, I do think that a yoga therapist could be that bridge. I think that the big question is how can they monetize it? I think that would be the big question. But it's I think that's me, what's prohibiting to it. To <laughs> me, that's an easy solution. Yeah. Because a yoga therapist can do inpatient, outpatient telehealth. We already know there's an insurance code for inpatient. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That fits yeah. right in. Everybody wins but it monetarily. Needs to make a profit. <laughs> oh, we, they could be a profit there with the code and what they get to charge for inpatient. It's absolutely, it would sure. cover a profit sure. and it would cover the yoga therapist's um, salary. Absolutely. But we also absolutely. know from some of our peers 
that enter into the hospital system, within two years, they're overwhelmed and they need more yoga therapists. Uh, We could go to outpatient. By the time we get to telehealth, the patient could be paying for it, right? right? There are some codes that could work for outpatient. It has to be a little more creative. You know, you need to get billing code people involved and that kind of thing. We also know, for example, in oncology and peds, there is huge foundational um, legacies and you Mm -hmm. could do a two-year grant while the department is being, you know, and the profession of the yoga therapist is being built up to become sustainable in the hospital system to make profit. So to me, those Mm -hmm. are like non-arguments. It's just like when you hear people say there's no research, you know, but come on, we're past that. (laughs) There might not be a huge blind, a blinded randomized controls trial, but are we ever really going to see that with the money that's in pharmaceuticals versus the money that's in cam services? You know, let's just be realistic there, but we, there, there's Mm -hmm. good rigor out there for, for yoga therapy, yoga studies. So to me, I'm like, let's take those myths off the table right away. Mm -hmm. I'm at a great hospital. I would venture to say that I am at one of the top three hospitals for cancer. And I am so grateful and so blessed to be there and to be this far. But what makes me mad now that I'm living and I have fought hard to get here to live is I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm being siloed again. And that is bringing up a trigger when I've been siloed more than once in hospital systems then I'm, and I'm going to fight because I don't want to be there. And I'm going to fight right. harder each time I fight harder because my life is at risk mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm mad about it. Yeah. I think that that makes you even more passionate to drive you, Kim, you know, I, I, I'm, I I'm have... mad about it and I don't have the energy to be this mad because I want to yeah. use that energy into living. And, and it seems yeah. like an unnecessary silo because I am not the first person to be here. And a lot of money has been thrown at cancer. A lot of money has been made off of cancer. And we see mm-hmm. how fast things can be turning, right? We just saw it with the vaccine. There's no reason why we can't sure. push cancer research further. My father-in-law has asked very little of me, but he sent me this book and he was like, you know, you got to read it. And I really didn't want to read it because, you know, one of the authors I know was in Me Too, but then there were doctors that were behind kind of the meat of this book. And then I thought, Mm -hmm. well, my father-in-law probably doesn't understand what I do for a living. It's probably going to be repeat information. It turns out I decided to listen to the book. I'm about halfway through it. It's exactly what it, what I needed to hear. It is okay. doctors talking about their, you know, unicorn patients. It's doctors mm-hmm. talking about where research is based on different disease conditions and what ones will come out by the end of 2020. Um, I even have a doctor that I work with here locally that was at an international conference that's integrative medicine. And I sent him my stuff on Palby 2 and said, hey, if you hear anything, let me know. And he has a doctor that is living and is surviving her own pancreatic cancer who is an MD that didn't use traditional um, mm-hmm. you know, chemo and radiation because there's not good drugs for it, right? So what's the right. risk reward? Right. And I feel like this stuff from my father-in-law, from this doctor locally here, um, is coming at the right time to, to 
equipped me with the information that I need for this next fight in my life. That is amazing. That's awesome. You made a comment. Are you there? Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Everything went dark on my screen for a second. Um, You made a comment about, you know, when is, when is care going to be respected? There's money in pharmaceuticals um, and they don't want to put money into like CAM stuff or, or, you know, therapeutic models. And, you know, thinking about it, about everything that's happened with the opioid crisis and pain management, I really think that that is a shift in an area where as yoga therapists, like the fight to get in there and be like, no, these low risk, high reward modalities, um, really can be helpful. Um, I think that's another another area where as I was being maybe a little bit pessimistic or skeptical about how would they monetize yoga therapy? Like, yes, insurance will pay for it, but then does that affect people's insurance premiums, blah, 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 you know, down the line, they got to pass the buck on to somebody. But the idea that there's all of this um, now finally awakening to, Hey, maybe the pharmaceutical companies are all that great. Even though if citizens, I think lay people have been shouting that for a while, you know, maybe pharmaceutical companies don't have our best interest in mind. <laughs> maybe there's, um, it's time to start putting money into other things. So as you were, you were, you said that it really made me like, yes, this is actually a hopeful area to put in. And then, like you said, and I know I've, I've said this to you throughout this, you being the unicorn, um, even though they don't know what to do with you. <laughs> is like already opening up so much along the way that I'm absolutely certain that every nurse that you've come in contact with, every doctor that you've talked to about these things has pondered some of the things that you have said and have passed on some of your tips and tricks to other patients. I'm positive of that. Yeah. My, my radiation oncologists, um, I had mentioned the, uh, when I was in simulation, it triggered up uh, past trauma for me. Yeah. My last time that I was going to speak to both of them, they allowed me to, I asked permission, and they allowed me to share in hindsight what would have worked better for me. Um, and one of the things, you know, was with a, one of my radiation oncologists is a male, one's a female. And, and one of the the things that they wondered was, was it having a male doctor touch me? And I was like, absolutely not. But I had shared with him, I said, women my age, what you have to be aware of as a male is that women of my age, sometimes based on a doctor's belief system, has been fired by their doctor or told to not divulge certain aspects of things that have happened to them to male doctor, Mm -hmm. which in essence is lying about you know, your, your being, your history, your history, Yeah. yeah, your past medical history. I said, so to me, more so than a male touching me, that's more what you have to worry about as a male. Um, and we had this great healing conversation, um, about how, you know, the, you know, one's a, the fellow and one isn't, you know, and, and having the doctor with the more experience kind of commanding the room. And having that overall dialogue of, of narrating what's happening. And it was really nice. It, it, it was healing for me. 
they seemed open to receive what was happening to me. So there are doctors that are open-minded that are really striving to find solutions in the constraints and boxes that hospital systems and insurance companies have placed on them. That gives me hope right. that may, perhaps some of this siloing can start to be more integrative. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I do, you know, I, I think the doctors and nurses and medical professionals, they know, they know that the silos exist, you know, I, and they, I'm sure, aren't pro-silo. <laughs> it's, it's more of the, the fiduciary pieces and the in, uh, insurance things that, frankly, from all the physicians and, and nurses and stuff that I know, they want to stick their head in the sand when it comes to that stuff. They're like, oh, no, I don't deal with that. <laughs> My and radiation oncology team was the first ones that let me bring in the box to the lotion I was um, using to see the ingredients nice. so they could do their own research to see if it's something they want to mm -hmm. perhaps okay. add to their list. They were also mm -hmm. the only ones that uh, the oncologist and a couple technicians were interested in seeing a yoga therapy pamphlet. And nice. they were also the only ones that were interested and the online learning program that I put together for CHS is about yoga therapists. Now, whether they nice. follow through and read the information or take the course, I don't know, but they were least open to receiving it into their hands. And that's um, the first seed, that's right? Step. Yeah. Oh, Kim, well, it seems like all of this, like, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating that the the your experience through this and and it's been a year for sure for you um only continues to fuel your passion i mean you were passionate about changing the healthcare system before <laughs> and now you know it's it's further fueling that fire and desire and i see that i, I mean i feel like that's that's the the seeds that's how change really happened I go back to my nurse practitioner that, you know, what, talk, what talks to me about spirituality and the conversation we had before surgery. And she said, you know, we might be one of the best cancer hospitals, but I really hope that you teach us how to communicate better. And uh, she's like, your, your services are, are needed in our system. And, uh, you know, a couple of my clients, uh, probably two weeks ago said, you know, think about where you were a year ago and where yeah. we are now. And uh, yeah. very grateful to be alert and vertical and standing in my studio and inspiring others to integrate a sustainable movement for sure. I think that's fantastic. Well, I think we should wrap up here and hopefully there's even more good news coming down the pike for um, everything for you. And we'll check in with you in a couple of weeks and see how things are going. For our vegetarians so. out there, you want to share anything, or if Kim has inspired you in any way, please let us know. Go to where the lotus grows, or you could email us at info where the lotus grows dot com, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Kim. Show notes and resources grow on our website where the lotus grows dot com. If you're wanting to engage with the topics we present in a deeper way, it's a great place to go for a more immersive experience and links to pertinent show information. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or subscribe on our website to get our weekly blog, personalized weekly mantra, and links to listen to the show. We're so grateful for all the reviews, recommendations, membership support, and suggestions that you provide us. As always, our member platform is at patreon.com backslash where the lotus grows. This is where you can go to donate to the show to help keep us going and get a few rewards for your support. Thank you, Courageitarians. We love having you as our Sangha. Until next week. Remember, though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended as treatment or diagnosis. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for full evaluation.